It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. He's a world-famous neurosurgeon, sits on a number of boards, including the board of Johns Hopkins Hospital, one of the most premier medical institutions in the country, has been a presidential candidate, housing and urban development secretary, uh, founder of American Cornerstone, a father, a husband, a grandfather, and his new book by Dr. Ben Carson, Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America, a discussion that needs to be had past, present, and future, especially looking towards the future. Uh, no man's an island, Ben, and we've right. talked about this many times. But all the accomplishments that you have, and they are significant. They've affected people's lives. Lives mm-hmm. have been saved. Lives have been changed. The public accolades and more, and what people think of you publicly, the man I've known and the man I see before me is a family man. And families evolve over generations. So do nations because they're made of families. Amen. So let's start with the past, and in this case, the science of who we are as human beings, even before America was around. Uh, Such an important uh, concept. First of all, just one small correction. I've sat on many, many boards, uh, including my college, uh, Yale University. Uh, Not sat on Hopkins board, but I did spend 36 years there. And I said I was going to stay there until they put one of those paintings of me up. And they finally <laughs> did, so it's good. <laughs> you put your time in. That's, that's for sure. You definitely put your time Absolutely. in. Absolutely. But, you know, who we are as human beings, you know, it's very interesting to me when I, I see people reacting uh, to the color of a person's skin. And we have schools teaching children that the most important determinant of what happens to you in life is the color of your skin. And yet, science has told us that the thing that makes you who you are is not the color of your skin. It's not the shape of your nose. It's not the texture of your hair. It's your brain. And as a brain surgeon, you know, I had an opportunity to operate on people from every part of the world. And when you open that skull and you open the dura, you're looking at what makes that person who they are. And you cannot tell, looking at that brain, what the skin color is because the skin color doesn't really matter. What matters is how those brains are connected and what they are capable of doing. And the human brain is such a sophisticated organ system. It has billions and billions of neurons, hundreds of billions of interconnections, remembers everything you have ever seen, everything you've ever heard. I could take an 86-year-old man put some depth electrodes into certain parts of his brain and stimulate. And he could recite back for me verbatim something he read 60 or 70 years ago. It's it's all there. It's just a matter of can you recall it. Actually, when I hear you (laughs) describe it like that, I'll call you when I'm 87. But, But those brains are capable of extracting information from the past, integrating it with information from the present, projecting it 5, 10, 15, 20 years into the future, doing complex analyses, and importantly, 
judging somebody based on the content of their character, which is a frontal lobe function, which is why people have such well-developed frontal lobes versus the color of their skin, which is a midbrain function. And animals have much better developed midbrains because animals react. They don't spend a lot of time doing complex analytical thinking. So, and we're being taught, as you've said many times, or being pushed to react. Like animals. Not to think. And, and you know, I'm not a world-famous neurosurgeon, certainly <laughs> and never will be in this case, and probably not a bad thing. But I've said for many years, there's only one race, human, when it comes to the dominant race on this planet. And we're being told we're different things. We're different ethnicities. Right. We develop differently, different nations. Uh, but we also de de we develop and evolve socially. And now we have this cry of what you're talking about. We're supposed to look at people by the color of their skin. But how does socialization work into this as a community, as an individual and a community? Well, you know, we find it fascinating. Uh, Candy and I sometimes talk when you go to England, for instance, and you see a person of Japanese ethnicity or a person of Nigerian ethnicity. And when they talk, they talk with an English accent. <laughs> and yeah. and it, at first it seems a little strange to you, but then you really stop and think about it. We are all made by the culture that we grow up in. And that has a lot more with who we become than anything else. And so if you take a kid uh, who perhaps came from a bad socioeconomic background, but at a very young age, you transport him into a highly privileged place, which way do you think he's going to grow up? How do you think he's going to behave? He's going to behave in the way that he was brought up. Has nothing to do with his ethnicity. You know, it, it brings to mind nurture versus nature. We right. hear that a lot. And why I wanted to have this discussion in this sense is for people to understand who we are. Your book's created equal. Right. And if I'm listening and hearing you correctly from a scientific perspective, we are... And, of course, there's a religious belief for, for sure. many in America as well and right. around the world. We're created equal in the sense of who we are as a, as a not just biological entity, mm -hmm. but then socialization, which becomes an important part of this. Right. And we're all the same. And it's interesting, you know, when you go back and, you know, we dissect it all in the book. But uh, when people came here from Africa as slaves, it was much easier for the slave owners to treat them in a subhuman way before they learn to speak English. <laughs> but once the slaves learned how to speak English and could express themselves, it became a lot more difficult. And they could understand what was around them. How important was that part of it? And that was a very important part of it. And then they had to say, well, we got to find a way to keep these people subjugated so it became illegal to educate them, uh, to teach them how to read, because they knew that these individuals were smart, were capable. In many cases, you know, they invented things. They didn't get credit for it. Their owners got credit for it. 
But they were very crafty. Especially in, in, in agriculture. Absolutely. For those who study the history of agricultural development, slaves created much of that on the plantations. Exactly. Even on Jefferson's plantation, they tell the story of Monticello and the exactly. innovations. And that was, that was the reason that African slaves were preferred over other types of slaves, because of their tremendous ability in agriculture. Let me rewind the clock, the history clock for a moment, because the history of slavery is, did not begin with colonial slavery. No. Spain at one time had the largest amount of slaves by the numbers on the right. planet, but it goes back. Well, it goes back to beginning of written history. There's not been societies that haven't had to deal with slavery. And it's almost a natural human tendency. There was a lot of slavery in Africa. Uh, when tribes fought, uh, you either killed the other side or you enslaved them. So th that trade was going on long before the Portuguese uh, came and started that slave trade. And... Uh, we also have to recognize that slavery is still going on in the world today. There are more slaves today than there have ever been in the history of the world when you look at uh, human trafficking. And the com major consumer of it is the United States of America. So these are issues that are ongoing. And there's nothing unique about America and slavery other than the fact that, first of all, the majority of white people in the South did not own slaves. They couldn't own slaves. This was something for the aristocrats. Secondly, there were black slave owners. Most people don't know that. And so when you talk about something like reparations, how do you decide who to give them to? What percentage of black blood do you have to have to get a reparation? If you were descendant from black slave owners, do you get reparations or do you give reparations? I mean, the logistics of it is virtually impossible. So instead of doing that, let's learn the lessons that came out of that and apply that to building a better, a more equitable society. That seems to make much more sense to me. But, you know, America was the only country that I know of that fought a bloody civil war to rid itself of the scourge of slavery. So while we did that, and as a result of that, well, not just slavery, women's rights, while we fought a war over slavery, the evolution of women's rights, mm -hmm. eventually from segregation, sure. at removing that where we are now as a country, and our diversity all put together, why is it, and, and we'll get more into this uh, further down the road in this interview, but why is it that so many on the left especially, and so many of the, what I call the anti-American crowd, mm -hmm. uh, are effective with the systemic racism, America is racist, its past is racist, but what you just laid out is historically accurate, factually true, but yet they're effective. Well, you know, they have to create a narrative of unfairness in order to push their ideology. And basically, they'd like to get to a point where they can say that the American system doesn't work and that it fundamentally needs to be changed, that it's systemically racist, that it's unfair inherently to a group of people. But, you know, again... All you have to do is stop and think about this logically. 
if we were so racist and systemically rotten, particularly to minorities, why would people be forming caravans trying to get in here? And when they got here, wouldn't they contact all their friends and relatives and say, don't come here. This is the worst place ever. <laughs> and instead, it's just the opposite, isn't it? Uh, so, you know, all you have to do is put your, gain, your brain into gear and you see what's going on. But there, there are many who want to fundamentally change this country. And they say, don't believe your ears. Don't believe your eyes. Don't believe your heart. Just listen to us. We'll tell you what you're supposed to think. We'll tell you what you're supposed to say, and we'll tell you what you can't say. How important to wrap up this portion of the past, although the past winds into the present, it leads into the future, we're going to get into all of that as you lay out in your book, but how important is it to recognize our evolution and make sure we shout it louder than those who tell us everything contrary to what you just laid out. Well, it's, I, I can't emphasize strongly enough how important it is because what has happened is you have a minority of people who have the microphone, who have access to the mainstream media, and they want people to believe that what they propose is the truth. That anybody who opposes them uh, is unworthy of respect and probably even worthy of persecution. That's a pattern that we're starting to see in this country. But students of history know that it's a pattern that is very often seen when Marxist ideologies take over everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the same using the same pattern in this country, and you know, talking to someone. Uh, from Romania recently, she said to me, everything that was happening in Romania is starting to happen in this country. And we would be very wise to go back and study some of the things that have happened, uh, particularly in the Eastern Bloc countries. Well, there is that phrase, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Exactly. And uh, no laughing matter with what we see going on right now. Absolutely. Dr. Ben Carson, the book Created Equal. By the way, let me give a little credit to my producer, Edwin, for this one. Mm. He caught it. I looked at how it's written on the book. and Why does that look familiar? And he said, David, look at this. Created Equal. Would you actually tell us why you chose to use the text from one of our great documents? Well, if you look at the, the Declaration of Independence, it's written with the same curf- cursive uh, type of lettering. So, <laughs> I, I think it's very clever. I caught it, but I got to give him credit. Yeah. He said, here. And I went, aha. <laughs> See, I, my frontal lobe went to work. Indeed. Scientifically, we've defined it. <laughs> uh, the book created equal, the painful past, confusing presence, and hopeful future of race in America with Dr. Ben Carson. Next up, I've got to tell you, critical race theory, you talk a lot about that, the 1619 Project, debunking the false narratives about the past, telling the truth about the present. My guest, Dr. Ben Carson, his new book, along with Candy Carson, who does a lot of the research. That's right. Got to remember, always give credit to your beautiful wife, who's a phenomenal cook, by the way. I still love the dinners. (laughs) Uh, The book created equal, uh, the painful past, confusing present, and the hopeful future of race in America. Now let's talk about the present, because Mm -hmm. we've talked about the scientific 
who we are as people. I love the way you put that and the fact that there's a history beyond America. We need to see these things honestly. Absolutely. But in the present, we're being beset with critical race theory, that America was founded on racist ideals, and also this new 1619 project. So let's start there. Well, you know, critical race theory goes uh, back to critical legal theory and those who propose that all of our laws were written in such a way as to maintain white supremacy in every aspect of our lives. And then that's morphed into the educational arena as well. That's how the critical race theory educational program came about. Uh, Some people think that this is something that just cropped up in the last few years. It's not just cropped up. This has been a, a goal of the left, and the left is cloaked in many different uh, nomenclatures. You know, they call themselves progressives now. They were liberals before, uh, you know, going way back to the Fabians. It just continues to change. Whenever you know who they are, they change their names. But they have a deep and abiding desire to fundamentally change this nation. Remember, there have been many who've said from the beginning that the concept of a nation that was ruled by the will of the people was foolishness, that you had to have a monarch or a ruling body. People did not have the ability to rule themselves. We've proved that incorrect for almost 250 years. Not only did we succeed, but we became the preeminent nation in the world. It really is quite a phenomenal story. Why there is fascinating to me, you don't just become a nation, you evolve and you get closer to that more perfect union. And factoid, because you know I love my my little (laughs) factoids, it's a radio thing, Ben. Uh, Today is the day that the Declaration of Independence, as we sit here, this is the day the Declaration of Independence arrived in London. This t- today. today. Wow. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> but such an, such an important concept of the way that we did things. And how do, how do we, th- when you stop and think about it, how do we, a fledgling nation with a ragtag band of militiamen, defeat the most powerful nation? It would be like Cuba defeating the United States. I mean, it was not supposed to happen. What were those principles that made us so strong? Well, first of all, we became strong economically because we created an environment that encouraged entrepreneurship and innovation. Uh, We became strong as a government because we had checks and balances. Uh, We had an educational system that was superb. You could find a mountain man he could read. And, uh, you know, if you really want to be impressed, go look up a sixth grade exit exam from the middle 1800s and see what you had to know to graduate from the sixth grade. I mean, when you see these men on the street interviews today and they're asking people, you know, who fought in the Civil War, duh, was it France? And and, and, and I don't know. (laughs) It's a good point. People uh, don't have that basic understanding, basic knowledge. And by the way, a lot of people learn to read from the Bible. That's that's right. The Judeo-Christian uh, philosophies, which you write about in the book. Yes, they and were how used. How important that is. They were used in our school systems, and it was in the early '60s that we decided no God in schools. 
Well, it's been sort of a downhill course since that time. And, you know, we need to make a decision as a nation. Are we one nation under God, as our pledge says? In God we trust, as all of our coins and all of our bills say. Is it true? Uh, Our Declaration of Independence talked about certain unalienable rights given to us by our Creator. Do we believe this or do we not believe it? Let's not be schizophrenic about it and say, yeah, we believe in it, but you can't talk about it. That makes no sense. And, uh, you know, getting back to that sense of values, it was those people in the religious communities that formed the bulk of the abolitionists for slavery. What if they had been pro-choice people? They said, I don't believe in slavery myself, but you do whatever you want. Uh, Where would we be? Uh, as a nation now. So maybe we do have responsibility uh, to try to improve the lives of others. You know, in the book of Proverbs, in the 24th chapter, the 11th verse, it says, what about those people who are being drawn to death, who are going to be slain, who have no one looking out for them? Doth not he who sees everything know what you did? And when you say, I didn't know, does he not know whether you really knew or not? We do have a responsibility to each other as human beings. And we need to start thinking about that because that's one of the things that made us strong, having communities, having people who cared about each other, who were able to work together. In many cases, there were families, 20, 50, 100 families isolated from any other communities by 50 or 100 miles. Why were they able to thrive? Because they worked together. They had different skills and abilities, but they worked together. If it was harvest time and Mr. Johnson fell out of the apple tree collecting apples and broke his leg, everybody else harvested his crops, no questions asked. You know, it was that kind of strength that helped to make America into a great nation. That's what we should be thinking about. Critical race theory does exactly the the opposite. It teaches the white kids that you are oppressors. All of your ancestors and your relatives are oppressors. It teaches the black kids and the minorities that you are victims. And if you can convince somebody they're a victim, they are a victim. And then they become dependent, they become controllable, and and for the record, I was never a victim either. (laughs) And your story, just coming from your background, when people read about your your childhood, uh, your mother's belief and her And she refused to let us be victims. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I mean, we've all gone through some form of life, whatever your background. But your point, if you believe you're a victim, well, then... There's so much more that can come from that. But, you know, you talk about community, and now we have communities being ripped apart. In the book, you write about George Floyd Mm -hmm. uh, and then also about big tech. Now, for me, they go together, unfortunately, in this case, to the negative side of things. So George Floyd and big tech and where we are today. Time and million different from Farmer John falling out of the apple tree and the community coming to help, but today the community's being ripped apart. Absolutely. Well, you take something like the George Floyd incident, uh, which was played incessantly 24-7 
uh, not only in this country, but around the world. I talked to some friends of ours in Australia. They say, they, what's going on over there? Are they killing all the black men? I mean, you would get that impression. And yet, what are the actual statistics? And we talk about this in the book. Uh, no less of a conservative uh, tower as the Washington Post <laughs> says less than two dozen black men per year, unarmed black men killed by policemen, less than two dozen, more than 50 million police civilian encounters per year. So it's vanishingly rare. And yet they want to make it seem like this is going on all the time. And as we point out also in the book, there was another case almost identical to the George Floyd case that happened in close proximity. Knee on the neck, face on the ground, saying, I'm going to die. Almost no coverage whatsoever. He did die because he was white. It didn't fit the narrative. Who cares if it doesn't fit the narrative? And, you know, the hypocrisy is just unbelievable. And yet, they come in, they create dissension between groups, they destroy neighborhoods. In many cases, these people in these neighborhoods have worked all their lives so that they could have a small business. They come in and they destroy that. How is that supposed to be helping the situation? How is it supposed to be helping the very people that they claim to be advocating for? Yeah, you would think there's a lie in there somewhere. <laughs> you would I, think I so. believe it says in one of those things they call the commandments about thou shalt not lie. But exactly. you know, who are we to talk about? You talk about we talk about race. Uh, you mentioned class before, and in the book you explore racism versus classism versus classism. Uh, well, without giving away the whole book, because I want people to read it, sure. create it equal. Racism versus classism. Well, uh, there is a lot of classism in our country. Uh, you know, people of certain socioeconomic uh, status uh, in many cases don't associate with people uh, who are of lesser economic degrees. And, and I've, I've heard many justifications. Sometimes they say those people don't respect what has to be done in order to get here, or they don't respect your property and they say you can just tear it up because they'll just buy another one and and they don't appreciate that there, there's a lot of reasons that they give but it does exist and a lot of people who are in lower socioeconomic classes happen to be minorities and they mistake that attitude for racism when people don't want to associate with them or be with them those very same people are happy to associate with uh, minorities who are on their same socioeconomic level. And uh, it, that's something that's very hard for people to, to get their head around sometimes. But just remember, not, not everything is racism. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be working hard to extinguish classism too. I mean, the way I kind of look at it, compared to God, you can be Elon Musk or you can be a bum on the street. You're about the same. There's <laughs> <laughs> a little billion-dollar difference here. But you know, your point's taken, and in my experience, and I know people across the spectrum, as you and I know, actually some of the same people, whether you're poor, and I know some very wealthy people, it's not a. there's always not a disconnect between them. I know many people who understand 
the plight of someone else, want right. to actually help, and many that go out and do it because they have the means. And I don't like this separating, uh, and I'm not saying you're doing it, but right. I, the way some people try to separate us into our buckets. Right. You earn this much, you live in this type of neighborhood, that's all you belong, you have this much. Developers, for example, many of them go out and help redevelop neighborhoods. Why? Capitalism, mm -hmm. it works. But then at the same time, jobs, security, right. education comes in, opportunity. You know, opportunity, the American mm -hmm. dream. Sure. Well, you and I both know a lot of people who are wealthy and powerful who have spent enormous amounts of time and effort to help others. That's what they do. That's one of the reasons that America is successful. When you think back to, you know, the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and the people, the Vanderbilts, people like this, look at not the fact that they built these big mansions, but look at what they did with the railroad system to, to help bring economic viability to communities across the country. Look how they built museums and libraries and universities and things which helped America to become strong. If not for them, how? Right. And the people who hate the wealthy, uh, just think, if you don't have any wealthy people, who's going to provide your job? Who's going to build the factories? Who's going to build the stadiums? Who's going to take the risk? Uh, you know, we really better stop and rethink this. Um, the great thing about America is that the avenue to create wealth is open to anyone who's willing to work hard. I want to get a little personal for a moment. And many know mm -hmm. your history. They've seen gifted hands. Sure. They've read your story. And you had times in your life when you were young, coming from a poor background, mm -hmm. where this could have gone different, not oh. necessarily because of racism, but different circumstances. Absolutely. I, share some of that with people because sometimes they need to be reminded yeah and given your position you know who you are well i mean just thinking about my temper and uh how i got into a lot of trouble uh because of my temper uh and i'll never forget that time when i was 14 and i almost stabbed someone but they had on a large metal belt buckle and a knife blade struck that and broke. If they had not had that belt buckle on under their clothing, my life would have been very different. I would have been charged with a crime. I would have gone to reform school. Uh, I would have potentially ended up in jail. I would have ended up on a very different trajectory. And that is the grace of God, I gotta tell you. <laughs> that is the grace of God. And, it, and, you know, God sort of has a sense of humor. Uh, instead of using a knife to kill somebody, he gave me a knife to heal people. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> and, and you certainly have from separating co-joint and saving thousands of lives, teaching others who go on to save other lives. Absolutely. Uh, and, that, and that butterfly effect from Ben Carson has been <laughs> significant. Well, think, speaking of God's sense of humor, um, when you think about, the fact that I started reading from the book of Proverbs after that knifing incident. And I start each day and I end each day reading from the book of Proverbs. It was written by Solomon. It just so happens my middle name is Solomon. Solomon. And when Solomon became the king of Israel, what was the first thing he did that brought him great fame? 
two women came to him claiming to be the mother of the same baby. What did he advocate? Divide the babies. Baby. When I divided babies, that's when I became very well known. <laughs> he does have a sense of humor. He does. a sense of humor in there. And it's something that people need to have more of a sense of humor and Absolutely. less hate in the world. Uh, my guest, Dr. Ben Carson, uh, written with his wife, Candy Carson. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I always give her credit, but number two, I love her cooking, as I said, so I'm going to make sure I do that. Uh, the book is Created Equal, uh, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and A Hopeful Future of Race in America. The book is Created Equal by Dr. Ben Carson, along with his wife, Candy Carson, uh, The Painful Past, The Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of race in America. And Ben, first of all, let me say I appreciate this because no, you. You, you speak often and publicly. You've built things like American Cornerstone with mm -hmm. a great team. You continue to do the work. Your retirement plan is doing pretty <laughs> well because when you get to heaven, you do get eternity. But you're doing the work here now. And something you've launched for me uh, while we're talking about the book ties into what the book's about, right. education. You have the Little Patriots program. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about history and learning and moving forward, one of the greatest gifts, and I've used this example for years, is a book. Because what happens right. when you open a page in a book you've never read before? And I hope people pick up the book and read it. That's yes. part of the plan. You read something, you learn something new. And you yes. were talking earlier about your brain being able to retain it, exactly. which, by the way, someday we're going to test that when I'm 87. <laughs> so stick around, Ben. But, but seriously, the Little Patriots program, education and the future. In order to have a hopeful future, you have to have a plan. No question about it. And, you know, American Cornerstone, we call it not only a think tank, but a do tank because of things like our Little Patriots program, where We've created an online learning program at littlepatriotslearning.com. Beautiful illustrations, uh, cartoons, some of the best cartoonists from Disney and Pixar, ABC Kids, who are unwoke, not woke. Um, and beautiful teaching programs with manuals for the teachers, for parents, for grandparents, people who want to homeschool, private school. Uh, we have books associated with it. The latest one is called Red, White, and Blue, Our Flag Matters to Me and You. And it helps the kid to see why we stand and salute our flag and why we should be proud of it. It doesn't denigrate people who want to kneel and people who want to denigrate our flag, but we look at the positive aspects of our country. And, uh, you know, in the teaching pro and all the proceeds from the books go right back into the program so we can keep it free of charge along with uh, wonderful donors that we have has made a big difference but uh, we, we cover a lot of topics we're going to have a new cartoon topic coming out every month uh, right through uh, 2023 and uh, cover in-depth topics but in a fun educational way Things like the Underground Railroad. Uh, why did we need it? Who were the people involved? And it helps the children to see that, you know, there were a lot of people, uh, white people, black people, all kind of people 
who detested slavery and worked very hard and put their own lives and resources at risk to get people Some out of it. Some gave them. There were three young Jewish men, yes. freedom riders, absolutely, who were murdered. That's right for their work. I mean, for their work against slavery. Uh, the point of, and I, I guess it goes right back to the beginning. Created equal is a belief that is under the skin. Doesn't exactly. re- doesn't look at the skin color. Exactly. And. And we want our kids to come away knowing that we, the American people, are not each other's enemies. And don't allow yourself to be manipulated. Make sure you know what our history is. Our history is something we can be very proud of. Are there bad parts of it? Of course there are, because human beings are involved. <laughs> human yeah, beings are imperfect. there's going to be a little <laughs> bit of a complex situation. Okay. But uh, when you also consider the amazing things that have happened, because of human beings, particularly in our country, outstanding individuals. And let's look at those positive aspects. You know, I I saw where uh, Jalen Rose was critical of Mount Rushmore the other day. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, they all did great things. They happened to be white. So what? You know, it really wouldn't have mattered what color they were. They did great things. And let's not let that animal part of our brain that only reacts to visual stimulation, let's let that be the thing that defines us. Let's let those great frontal lobes be the thing that defines us. And I think we will become much greater than. America is is the most fantastic nation on earth I have visited 68 countries. I've lived overseas. Some of the places are beautiful. There's no question about it. But I got to tell you, there is no place like home. There's no place like this nation. And, you know, I know there's some black people who get angry when they hear me say that. They say, we would have been better off in Africa. Um, No, we would not be better off in Africa. People who came here from Ireland would not be better off in Ireland. People who came here from Germany would not be better off in Germany. We're still coming here from those countries. (laughs) Exactly right. To your earlier point. And we all played a part in making this into a great nation. So a couple of things come to mind. And, you know, we're looking at the future now in education. And I think of not only what you lay out in the book, Created Equal, as a form of Mm counter-programming, but... Something I noticed about the Little Patriots program that, mm-hmm. uh, and you know me, I look for the what's missing, right. is it's not a party identification. It's principles, America. You're not Republican this, no. Democrat this, Absolutely liberal not. this, conservative. And I think that's really important because an educated person and an educated population mm-hmm. is the path to a better, fu- a better future. They, You understand your possibilities better. You see other options. And look, we see a missing component in many poor neighborhoods in America, regardless of ethnicity. I've been in poor areas of Kentucky that are white, Mm -hmm. you know, poor Latin areas, poor black areas, Asian, no matter what. I've traveled this country and seen it. And what's missing for them is education and understanding. So a kid in Baltimore says, you know what? I'd rather steal this, this, or sell this drugs a little bit at a time so I can buy a $1,000 pair of sneakers. Right. Okay, that logic doesn't It's not good. Doesn't well, work. But unfortunately for that kid in Baltimore, he's in a school system that has failed him. And uh, we really need to pay a lot more attention, particularly some of these 
uh, larger cities and what they're doing to the kids. It's criminal. But it, how much of it is now also deliberate? Critical race theory, 1619 project. Rather than giving them an education, they're giving them an indoctrination. Absolutely. What you offer here, even in Created Equal, is an education because right. it's a path of critical thinking. And, you know, that was something that my mother understood. She had less than a third grade education, but she recognized that education was the key to success. And and that's why she was so hard on me and my brother. And and her friends were always criticizing her. And they said, you can't do that to those boys. You know, they're going to hate you. But uh, she had the last laugh, didn't she? One became a brain surgeon and one became a rocket scientist. <laughs> Not a bad outcome. I, I think she'd be proud. And, and it's so important. Uh, keep working our way forward here. Um, the indoctrination, the challenges, the deliberate attempts to have a what I call a functionally illiterate society, one that knows how to get up, maybe take a shower, brush their teeth, but doesn't see the possibilities. And we be, end up being more dependent. That's the key more, word. More stuck in, in in the wrong, not just stuck, but heading in the wrong direction. And that's being pushed by many, and I won't use the term leaders, but yeah. people in influential political positions. And in my opinion, and I'll state my own, evil men like George Soros and the mm -hmm. like in this country. Well, you know, I was uh, kind of taken aback when I became the Secretary of HUD, and I expected uh, widespread support for my ideals of getting people out of poverty. No, sir. There were a lot of people on Capitol Hill who don't want people out of poverty. They want people to be dependent on them and they figure they can control those people and they can control their votes. And it is abominable. And they call it a swamp, but I say swamp is too good a name. It's a cesspool. But uh, we we got a real job on our hands. And, you know, those of us who understand what's going on, you know, we, we have to be willing to fight. It's going to be a hard fight. Uh, there'll be casualties. But uh, America is worth fighting for. What are some of those key elements, the way you see it? You outline a lot in the book, but looking at the future, uh, what are some of those key elements? We're talking about education, that's one. What else? Well, education is key, but also uh, getting people to associate with each other, to open the lines of communication. That is so vital. It's sort of like when you see people getting ready to get divorced. Remember before they got married, they couldn't keep their hands off of each other. They couldn't be away from each other without being on the telephone and calling each And now they don't talk to each other. The next thing you know, they're the double incarnate. Well, the same thing happens on a societal level when people don't get together and talk. Because what you'll find is you can take the most radical left-wing person, the most radical right-wing person. They're going to agree on most things. But we have a tendency, particularly big tech and the media to take those things they disagree on and to blow those things up. Magnify them. Absolutely. Try to make that into the most important issue when in fact it really in many cases doesn't amount to a hill of beans. And yet we've allowed that to happen so that now we're becoming enemies. And you have people who used to talk to each other. Now they don't talk to each other because they have a different yard sign, you know, in political season. Uh, and we the people have got to be smart enough to know that we're being manipulated. Uh, you know, America is an amazing place. 
It can't be destroyed by Russia or China, but it can be destroyed by us. Does that go to the point of what's the hardest thing to kill? An idea. America is an idea that succeeds. Uh, we're yeah, truly diverse. Absolutely. As we talked about before, this is a really diverse nation with so much opportunity that people risk their lives to get here, to get here from all over the world. Absolutely. They, they find a path forward. Uh, or a path towards America legally and illegally, which is another issue for another time. But if we don't take on this battle fully in every which way we can, you have a platform, I have a platform. The truck driver says, I only have my platform as I'm working every day, but everyone Everybody of us has, has a an sphere ability. of affluence. Right. So how do we, how do we win this? Do you, I'm not one of those people that says, do we win this? How do we win this? Well, the key thing is you can't stand in the corner with your head down and hope no one calls you a nasty name. That will not win anything. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be willing to stand up for what you believe in. And I think Ronald Reagan put it very well when he said, you know, our freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And when you just look at how freedom in this country has been impacted in the last couple of years uh, through the through COVID and how that's been used to dictate to people what they can and cannot do to make mandates, um, you know, look at the domino effect of what happens when you have all these pilots and stewardesses who resign because it's They've had COVID already and they don't want to take the vaccine. Look how that's impacting travel. It's like living in a third world country. Almost a third of the flights are either canceled or delayed. I mean, you can't depend on anything anymore. Um, And it's because we've deviated from the pathway of liberty and justice for all. We've moved more toward the I'm the boss and you got to do what I say. And uh, even if the vaccine doesn't really work, I say you got to take it. And, uh, you know, these kinds of things, I think the American people are waking up to them and recognizing what's going on. But, you know, my plea to people is why can't we just live and let live? Why do we have to be like so many other dictatorships in the history of the world. Why do I have to control you? Why do I have to say what you can do and what you can't do? I don't have to do that. Yeah. Sounds like an abusive relationship and an ongoing <laughs> argument in, in some ways, but uh, you know, I, I, we're going to win. We are. I really believe that. Not, I don't just believe it. I know enough people are working on it. Yeah. And, and I have more faith in this country because of our founding, our foundations, and who we are. I agree with you. That we will win this. Now, I'm not denying we're in a it's hard It's going to be hard. Yeah. We've got some very evil people against us. We're right. seeing America's cities break down. Mm-hmm. We're seeing culture and society at each other's throats. And this cultural civil war that's being forced on us. Right. And it's, and it's all self-inflicted. You know, we are putting in these district attorneys who are letting violent criminals out, destroying the confidence that people have in safety in their communities, uh, and just creating a sense of despair uh, so that people say, 
you know, this system doesn't work. We need something else. We don't need something else. We need to get rid of those people who are creating. Right. The, the, we don't need it. to change it. We need to change the people that are in exactly. charge. Exactly. I'll hold this up for the camera here because, you know, I learned how to present the book from some people who know it much better than me. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson with his wife, Candy Carson, created Equal. Uh, look at the Declaration of Independence. You might recognize the, the cursive writing. The cursive writing there. The painful past confusing present and hopeful future of race in America. America. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, David. It's always so good to be with you. Thank you, my friend. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.